As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of The Total Soccer Show is presented by Electric E-Bikes, makers of the number one selling e-bike in America. They are truly awesome. Thank you so much to Electric E-Bikes for sponsoring today's show. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today to talk about not Middle Eastern politics and history, which is what we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes off air, is David Goss. Hello, David. Oh, man, that's all I brought. All my notes are that. So I'm going to be lost. When it comes to, like, things with Byzantine histories and lots of different names that have played varying parts and, and a varying importance, it feels like MLS and the Middle East, you know, sort of intertwined. Why not? They're equally uh, confusing at times. So, yeah, it feels like a good comparison to make. It's, you know, aging empires and new <laughs> empires trying to overtake and yeah. the shifts of battlegrounds. So, yeah, I would say there's a lot of crossover um, and then Gam and Tam is like originally from, I think, Middle Eastern politics. I, I could be wrong. I feel like general allocation money comes from that. Who knows? I could I, I could have that I incorrect. Be- I believe originally they were made of um, shells of specific <laughs> crustaceans that lived, you know, in the Great Barren Strait. And then um, I don't know why I picked the Great Barren Strait. And then they were moved through. And then the Ottoman Empire used them as currency there we in, go. throughout. We're off to a flying start on this. Everybody's into it. Yes. Yeah, we can just throw out Janissaries now. Why not? Um, yes, we are here to talk Major League Soccer. Uh, we are going to run through some teams that maybe we don't spend as much time on uh, traditionally. But, Goss, I wanted to get your thoughts. Basically, this is going to be David Goss talking about a lot of different MLS teams and me asking questions along the way. I'm pretty This was your idea, by the way. So I don't want to get in trouble and everyone's like, why would you spend time talking about this team and not this team? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this stated objective of this is to talk about Major League Soccer without mentioning that one team in Florida. Let's talk about that team in Florida, though. A team in Florida turning heads, getting all the attention. It's Orlando City. Nice. Uh, now second in the East after their comeback win against the crew. They did so with key players missing or only able to play limited minutes. Gosh, are they rounding into form at the right time? Or are there lingering areas of concern in your mind for Orlando City? There are still lingering areas of concern. Um, it is... 
fairly unprecedented to build a team around young players in Major League Soccer, maybe around the world. And that's the part that I probably need to dig in a little bit more on. But even when you think about great teams, think about what Vinicius and and the young pieces at Madrid do. Like you still have Benzema, you still have Quarta. So I don't know that this is super unique to MLS, but MLS is tough because of a salary cap league of like you can only invest in certain players over the course of a squad. And so one of the things with Orlando that's tough is Facu Torres and Martino Heda and Duncan McGuire, if you want to include him, or Ramiro Enrique, who scored two goals for them um, this weekend. Most of the attack is 24 under. And you are relying on those players. You're relying on players who have never played in an MLS playoffs. Most of them have never played in MLS before. And so, like, there's a lot of solidity to Orlando, which I think is why I don't think they'll drop in the standings. They're going to be around the top four because Gaese is a top-level goalkeeper in this league. Robin Janssen, I think, is probably going to be up for MLS Defender of the Year. Antonio Carlos is, is pretty strong alongside him. And their defensive midfield spots are some of the better players at that position in the league. So I don't think they'll fall off. But the high-end question of, like, are they an MLS Cup Mm -hmm. contender? I don't think that's been answered yet, even with the run they've been on, in which they've beaten a Cincinnati on the road. Um, They beat Columbus this weekend. They've challenged against some top teams, Nashville as well. So they've put together a resume over the last few weeks, but... It's stuff that I can't be sold on probably until I see it in the postseason. Who do you give the most credit for or to for building this team and building around youth, but then having it work out successfully? Because I'm sure there have been front office personnel in different teams who have tried this and maybe not worked so well. Who deserves the credit for making it happen this time? I think everything with Orlando starts and ends with Oscar Pereja. Luis Muzi's, you know, the the face of things and, and he does some really good work himself and the two of them have worked together since FC Dallas so they know each other well but when I think about MLS teams like in Orlando and and I think you know there's a lot going on with the revs right now and we're going to try and sort of see where the revs are going but one of the things I think Bruce Arena did for that club and other clubs have looked for that is like getting owners to spend and I, I think a large part of getting owners to spend is trust in the person who's spending the money I think Oscar Pereja has that trust. Like he has the resume to go into his owners because the thing that works about this that hasn't worked in the past is like Facundo Torres costs $5 million more than the young players teams have tried to build around in the past. So he's better at soccer. Martino Heda the same. And that's what I think will get you over the line. Atlanta fans will be like, well, what about us? Almiron was 24. I think Joseph was 25 when they put those teams together and everyone else was a veteran. Michael Parkhurst, Carlos Carmona, Darlington Nagby, like those teams were not built around those two guys. And they are already older. They were older when they came into this league than Facu Torres is right now. But I think Oscar Pereja being able to vouch for it, saying he can make it work. And the thing about Pereja is like the floor is really high with his teams. His teams always play for him. His teams always work hard. They stay committed throughout the season. And so there's less of a gamble with these signings because like, At worst, you're going to make the playoffs. And at best, it all fits. And you have this high ceiling of you can compete at a high level. So I give Pereja the credit because I think he brings the legitimacy to allow this to happen. And he chose to lean in this direction. That's not always been the case with him in the past. Like He's obviously was a young Colombian that came to this league. And I think people assume that's the type of players he'll sign and the type of teams he'll build. But it hasn't been the case throughout his entire career. He's leaned on more veteran players. He's leaned on a lot of domestic players. So this is sort of a shift for him. I think it's a shift for him seeing how the league is moving 
and sort of saying like, what has worked for other teams? What worked for Columbus? What worked for Atlanta? What's worked for Seattle? And I think this was his assessment of the hope will be they sell Faku Torres for a high number. They are able to flip that money into multiple players. You start to build a group over the course of the years. That seems to be a model for MLS teams. And I think Pereja is trying to find Orlando's place in all of that. In terms of finding their place, uh, they uh, have not yet booked their spot in the playoffs, but seem likely to do so. Uh, if people have maybe switched off after League's Cup or before League's Cup, if they're just getting back into it as the playoffs loom, what is sort of the style for Orlando? How are they playing? And then in the playoffs, is there a team or style of team that they most want to avoid that is maybe uh, most likely to negate that style of play? I, Doyle said this best this week, so I'm just going to steal it. They're chameleons. I'm going to say you said it first and Doyle stole yeah, it from you, but sure. sure, go ahead. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things about this Orlando team, which I think puts a bit of a ceiling or question marks on them, which is they don't have super strong ideas in their game model in which they have to stick to. And you look at teams and you talk about soccer tactics. Game models are DNA, but you can always change the structure in which it exists in. Orlando doesn't just change the structure. They change their DNA from game to game. So sometimes they'll dominate the ball. Sometimes they'll sit off. Sometimes they'll press high. Um, sometimes they'll rely on set pieces and play in a deep block. Like They have a bunch of different ways that they can win games. I think the hope would be that they turn into a more high-possession team um, as they go along and get more comfortable as a group because then you can control games a little bit more. What they do is slightly reactive, and that's why I've been kind of low on them over the last few years. And that's why I was worried about them this year, not just the young players, but like if you don't decide the way a game is played, you're going to struggle. And we've seen this with a couple teams in MLS that have struggled to hold leads is like once they score, they change the way they play because it's not ingrained enough. And then they open up the game for their opponents. Orlando came back from a deficit against Columbus. Columbus is a team who is very strict to the way they play and their fundamentals. And, They overplayed it potentially over the course of that game, and Orlando was able to take advantage. But Orlando had almost 50% possession against Columbus, and that's a team that normally averages 55-plus over the course of the season. And Orlando's a team that in the past has been very low possession. So I think that was a step forward for them of saying, like, no, we actually want the ball because we want to decide how a game is played. Um, They have a few different ways they can play formation-wise because they have some – talent that fits it only in some spots. So like Duncan McGuire is a true center forward. He's been good this year as a rookie out of Creighton. He's been injured a little bit. Ramiro Enrique's come back who they signed as an under 22 signing from Argentina a year ago. And then he missed the entire season with an injury. He scored two goals. He's more of a natural center forward. So they could play the two of them together. We've also seen Enrique pushed out wide. We've seen Ojeda pushed out wide. We've seen Ojeda play central. We've seen Mauricio Pereira play central as a 10. Or sometimes dropped a little deeper as an eight. When he does that, they're easier to play through, but they can get more possession on the ball. And he's more of a chance creator from deep as he's gotten older. I think that's probably a more comfortable position for him. They always get their fullbacks pretty high, but they've shifted things a little bit. They've gone a little bit safer at right back and they've sort of pushed their left back more aggressively into the attack, which I think has given them more balance. Um, and one of the keys to this run has been they've basically conceded one goal or less in, in every game outside of against Columbus, and that's been a huge factor to them growing. So they're a team that has a lot of balance because the central midfielders can cover so much ground in Cartagena um, when he's there in Araujo, but they are not a team that I can promise you 
this week will play like this, and next week will play the same way. Like they will shift how they play against different opponents. So Orlando shift how they play. We don't know how they're going to play from one week to the next. Do we know who will be the coach of New England from one week to the next? Since you mentioned no, them previously, apparently Tom to Ramos an assistant now. <laughs> yeah, this is my point. I am confused by New England. Uh, you can talk as much or as little as you want, but my larger question is: What are you watching from? For, what are you watching for in New England over the next uh, six games or so from them as we lean towards the playoffs? Like, is this a team that has enough to make a run despite the challenges? Do you feel like the wheels are about to come off? Uh, what is intriguing to you about New England uh, with six games to go in the season? I don't think the wheels will come off. I think the talent level is experienced enough as a group. Like they've been together now for four years for most of these pieces and talented enough. Like if Carlos Heel is healthy, pretty much outside of one or two games, they're going to have the best player on the field. Um, And they've got a lot of other pieces in that team that have been around through some tough times. So I think overall, I don't worry about them. I'm the only person talking about this probably, so I can do it here. Um, I cover MLS and X-Pro. I broadcast games. So I've seen Revs 2 play a little bit. And Clint PA, who has now been elevated to the interim coach, was the New New England Revolution 2 coach. They are second in the Eastern Conference. They are top 10 in every possession statistic in MLS Next Pro. That's not Bruce Arena's revs. Bruce Arena's revs are direct. They're dangerous. They use set pieces. They get Carlos Heel into transition to help him create for the forwards. Even going back to the Supporter Shield winning team, Tejan Buchanan in transition, Adam Buxa on the break, Gustavo Bo, like their best moments happen in transition. They don't really control the game through possession. From PA's... MLS Next Pro team did. I don't know if he can institute that, but that's what interests me. And that's what I'm watching because maybe out of all of this, there's actually an added wrinkle to their ability to win games. And maybe that's what could get them over the line. As I talked about of like their big issue has been, they can't hold leads because they score in transitional moments, but the other team has the bulk of the ball and then they're ahead and the other team has the bulk of the ball and they're able to create chances. So this could add an element to this team. They've lost Brandon by, which I think hurts. But at the same time, that leads to a team where you're like, maybe we should keep more of the ball because we are less dangerous 1v1 and less dangerous um, on the break if we don't have Brandon by on that right wing. So I don't think Revs fans. I mean, I don't know what Revs fans should think, if I'm being honest. I don't even know how to get your mind around that. Um, I would say for the rest of this year, I would still tune in with the expectation of like my team can win. My team should win think long term there's a lot of question marks i've said this a couple times i think for the revs overall from a soccer point of view you want to keep the trains on the tracks like the direction they are going as a club is positive it wasn't for a really long time like eight nine years in mls throughout the 2010s there was no future now you look at a club that has won back-to-back U19 championships in MLS Next, has Noel Buck playing for the England U19 team, has sold Matt Turner, has sold Georgie Petrovich, has sold Tejan Buchanan, has you know three or four young players that they're playing. Again, second in MLS Next Pro, a lot of the key pieces to that team are academy players that they like. And so they've reshifted a ton of what they do as a club. They've modernized in their soccer aspects. Obviously, culture stuff has to shift because that's show or a train wreck, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think as a Revs fan, that's what you'd be looking for long term, short term. It's a team that should continue to compete. 
I have long been confused by the Revs for some of the things that you've just mentioned there, because Bruce Arena, in my mind, is practical. It's don't overthink this. Tactics are important, mm-hmm. but not that important. We can play direct. We can hit on the break, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then you talk about some of the names there, uh, Buck and Buchanan and Petkovic and Turner and, and the sales and the development of youth. Do you feel like it is that Revs 2 team and to some extent Clint PA who deserve the credit for, for that development and some of those young players coming through and the emphasis on youth? Or is that maybe going too far? Yeah, I think that's a little too far because Next Pro only came in last year and like Tejan was from before that. Turner, was, I mean, Turner is Brad Friedel. Which Turner, Turner is Richmond Kickers, lest we forget. Yeah. The one season he was here on loan, that was the difference. For sure. There. That's uh, what yeah. turned him around. Um, no, Matt Turner's completely Brad Friedel and Friedel deserves credit for him. I don't think Bruce drafted Tejan Buchanan either. I think, so I wouldn't put that there. Now I would say, I think under Bruce Arena, um, and there's a few people that are a part of this, they did reach they they changed the academy completely and rebuilt things and now they have like one of the better residency programs to bring players in from outside of New England or that are spread across New England that can live in the Foxborough area so that they can train all the time together they've advanced a lot of that but i, I do think Bruce Arena's group and there are a number of names that you know came in with him and i don't know how many of them are still friends with each other or talk to each other cuz this seems to be a chaotic mess inside of that. So I don't know who gets credit at the end of the day for all of this. But I do think they're the ones that did this. And I and I think it goes back to what I said about Oscar Pereira, like the change of MLS. I think Bruce Arena at the LA Galaxy was different than at DC United. And then at the Revs, he was different at, than the LA Galaxy because it's following the trends of the league around him. And the trend was like, you have to be able to sell players. You have to be able to expand your salary cap by getting additional allocation money through that. You have to be able to fill in gaps with homegrowns because they don't hit the salary cap. Like these are all things that are now necessary to have a successful team and teams that don't have them normally have, I think of the Portland Timbers, like the Portland Timbers have a ceiling a lot of times on the way on what they can do because they can't use homegrowns to help cover the salary cap so they can spend big on other pieces. Much more MLS conversation still to come. David, we're going to take a quick break. Back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're talking about uh, the MLS Eastern Conference. To start, we've talked about second-place team, third-place team. I suppose we should spend some time with the first-place team, uh, FC Cincinnati. Gus, I'm going to summarize it like this. If you said Orlando City are are built around younger players, and that presents some risk, and if we're saying New England are maybe built around more veteran MLS players, are Cincinnati basically somewhere in between? They're the one that the three bears... What is the character's name with the three bears and goldilocks yeah there wow <laughs> i was like cocaine bear i don't know what we're yeah. talking about here okay now i know where we're at yeah mm-hmm. uh, they're just right 
Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, they're, they are somewhere in between. Uh, I mean, they've, especially the new group that's come in, all the signings they've made have been basically in your prime players. Lucho was already there. And then you add Noboto uh, and now Bupenza to replace um, Brenner, who was obviously a, a, a young DP. So he was under that age. Matt Miazga as well. So like for the most part, the players they've brought in are just reaching or into their prime where I think the revs lean on veterans a lot more when they can, not just with Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo, but like Dave Romney and Omar Gonzalez and signings like that. And Cincinnati hasn't gone in that same direction. They've filled in gaps with Asante Arias or Ray Gaddis when they have to, which I think is the right thing to do. Like you need to have balance of experience across your roster to manage a full season and all the different things you go through. And so I think that has a ton of value, but this is a pretty young Cincinnati group. I mean, Roman Celentano and goal is like absurd because what team in the world has, you know, less than a 20, you know, a younger than 23 year old in goal. So this Cincinnati team, yeah, I think it's fair to, to categorize them as somewhere in between and hence why they're ready to win now. Like this is their year because they've put that group together to play that way. You don't know when guys are going to come back. Is Brandon Vasquez back after this year? Like, does Celentano go at some point as well? So that's, I think, why they're in this spot to be like, they're going to win a trophy. I think it's already pretty much decided. They're going to win the Supporters' Shield. And they got the ability to contend, I think, for MLS Cup. Has this been a good season for Brandon Vasquez, in your opinion? Uh, six goals, four assists, over 23, 23 games played. He's played almost 2,000 minutes. He played about 2,700, 2,750 uh, last year. Do you feel like this has been a successful season for him so far? I think it's 14 goals in all comps. So if you include Open Cup go. and Leagues Cup, which I don't think replaces the fact that like he has struggled to finish in Major League Soccer. I don't think people will look past that, but I think it saves some face. I just think the one thing you walk away from the last two years with Brandon Vasquez is that he has played multiple roles successfully for his team. He was the guy to start last year. Like, he was the goal scorer. He was the finisher. He was on the end of everything. Then Brenner came back into the team, and he turned into more of a creator. Then this year, I think the pressure was back on him because Brenner was in and out questionable through training camp and then through preseason and then gets sold to Europe. And so, like, the pressure goes back on Vasquez. Now he's trying to help Bupenza get involved with the team. I think that's... So, overall, no. Statistically, I don't think it's a success. But I think he comes out of these two years. If you're a club looking to buy him... I think there's a level of safety there of like he can fit with multiple pieces. He can fit in multiple systems. I think he's shown his flexibility and there's some safety there in picking him for the future because you don't know what the other pieces maybe will be like around him, but he's shown a willingness to work and fit in in different groups. And now, I mean, if they go on a run in the playoffs and he's scoring, then it won't matter, right? If he scores three goals or four goals in the postseason and he only scores 10 in the regular season, I don't think anyone's going to care. What would stop them from making that run in the playoffs? What would stop them from making uh, a successful run or getting out of that first round? Like what prevents this from being a successful season? Do you think there's not a ton of proof that high pressing as your number one tenant works in the playoffs? There is a ton that works in the regular season. The Red Bull set a points record when they did it. Philly's been arguably the most consistent team in MLS over the last five years. Um, LAFC have moved into it and it helped them rebound from that bad year under Bob Bradley. Um, But it hasn't normally worked in the postseason because at, at some point you play as a higher seed, you play home games. 
The away team's going to sit in deep. If you don't have an ability to break down low blocks, you're not going to be able to create chances. And that's literally what happened to Red Bulls last year when Cincy went on the road and beat them um, on the break in a late goal for Sergio Santos. So that's the big one. The second one being that some of these pieces haven't been there before and it's a unique experience. Not that anyone's been there because the playoff format changed again. Um, But there was a lot of positives that you can take from last year's playoff run. So that's the second one. And then the third one be if something happens to Lucho. Lucho is so central to what they do. He's going to win MLS MVP that there's that little bit of fear, which is if he gets hurt, if he gets suspended or if he disappears in a big game, is there enough to step up and carry them? Barrial's a big time chance creator for them down the left wing. Brandon Vasquez could step up and dominate a game. He hasn't done it consistently, but that's again a situation where if he does that for a couple games, that elevates them. Bupenza was really good off the bench and a come from behind draw at Philadelphia this weekend, which you could see him doing in place of Lucho if that happens. So they have options, they have depth, but those would be the big ones that stand out. Thank you for that. That is a very useful answer. But I will admit, I am now interested in a different topic, one which might end up getting Goss fired, so let's go for it. You mentioned Bob Bradley earlier. Uh, which former USMT manager has hurt their reputation the most this season, Bob Bradley or Bruce Arena? I don't know what happened with Bruce Arena, and we still don't know. I even think that Shroud of Mystery probably... Hang on one second. Uh, yeah, the lawyer says that's an okay answer. You're good. <laughs> uh, go ahead, go ahead. That's probably worse. I mean, Bob... It's tough. It felt like Toronto was the right fit for him. Like, they bring in big names. I think Bob's had success, obviously, with Carlos Vela, Ristoy Stochkov in the past. Like, he's managed big names. And it looked like it would be the right fit alongside him understanding what works in MLS. Um, And I think he took a pretty big hit in how poorly it all went. Now, in saying that, I think there's deeper-rooted issues in Toronto that he doesn't control. But I don't know how many people know that. So... I think the resume right now reads didn't succeed at the end with LAFC left, went to Toronto failure left. And that's his last two jobs. And so I think that's ends up, you know, looking pretty bad. Um, but Bruce is obviously unknown, which unknown mystery box. Mm-hmm. Everyone chooses to see what Schrodinger Schrodinger's cat. Mm-hmm. Everyone chooses to think what's in there that they want. So that makes things tough as well. I never fully understood Schrodinger's cat. Like, I get the premise behind it, uh, and I get the the debate around it to me, the cat is dead or it isn't. But maybe that's why I'm not a good (laughs) philosophy student. Uh, A different way of transitioning uh, in talking about Bruce Arena. You mentioned earlier Bruce Arena, uh, different at the LA Galaxy to Bruce Arena at DC United. I'm going to say the same goes for Ben Olsen, uh, (laughs) coaching at DC United versus coaching at Houston. Is the takeaway basically that DC was the problem? Is that what this season is telling us, Gus? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Yay, DC United. It's and, fun to And be I fan. think DC United being the problem, I think you can read as well through Colorado. Of like Robin Frazier, 2021, MLS Coach of the Year runner-up. What next? Like what happens next? And that was Ben Olsen's problem with DC. He would cobble together a competitive season. He would squeeze the Fabian Espindola rag and get a couple drops out of it. And I don't know, Chris Korb and... I can just keep naming random soccer players who played for DC United, Bobby Boswell. He, they, he would get something out of it. And the ideas were never, okay, you know, a good set piece center back who's a good communicator, 
uh, you know, a, a, a fullback that can get forward and put crosses in, a forward who's mobile that can come off the front line. To get better, can we find those profiles in players who are more in their prime or have a higher level of quality at that? And there are some MLS teams that look at it and say, okay, well, we did it. So just keep doing that. Every year, just keep doing that with those guys. And that's just not how sports work. Guys get hurt. Teams fall off. Also, they're copycat leaks. So other teams see what you're doing. And then they say, how can we add to it? And I've made this comparison a couple times recently. But like, I look at FC Cincinnati and the turnaround they made under Pat Noonan. And they looked at the team and they were like, oh, okay, we're doing okay with the defensive midfielders we have. Let's go get a DP in Nuoboto and let's up the ante. Let's do what we do even better. Let's slide Barrial out to wing back. Okay, let's get another wing back. Let's go get a Colombian World Cup veteran in Santiago's where Colorado was like, oh, this worked with Austin Trusty. Okay, let's sell Austin Trusty and then let's go get Gustavo Vallecia from another MLS team where he's not been good because we can make him better. And there was no upping of the ante or leveling up. And that was the same with DC United. Anytime Ben Olsen had any level of success, it was like, okay. Let's wait till Chris Pontius gets healthy and then let's do it again in two years. Yep. And there was never an addition to those pieces or building up. And they made some DP signings here and there and they did them poorly. And I think part of that, a large part of that is the lack of infrastructure in the club. There's just not a large enough soccer front office to make decisions properly and use all of the you know assets that now some MLS teams use of large scouting networks, data analytics, health analytics, like all the things that you combine to try and guess on a signing, which is always going to be a guess and always going to be a risk. Um, but yeah, it feels like you come out of this and DC is the problem. And I think credit to Ben Olsen for like leaving and working on himself as a soccer mm-hmm. manager, as well as like his ideas and what he's going to do. I don't know that Ben Olsen six years ago could have put this Houston team together. I'm not saying he couldn't. I'm, I'm just not sure because it wasn't really what we saw. What do you feel like Houston has done differently then to what DC were doing? What is, why has he been in a better position, essentially, aside from the work that he's done on himself and his soccer IQ? I mean, I think Pat Onsted pointed him in a direction. Like, the players he brought in, they can't be a transitional team. They cannot be a high-pressing team. Like, they can't cover ground that way, but they've got great possession players. So if you sign Ache Ache as your designated player and the cornerstone of your team, that's your GM saying, like, here you go. Like, I'm already, the arrow points in this direction, just follow the arrow. And so I think there's credit to Pat Onstad there. Um, and then a credit to Ben Olsen of leaning into it and leaning into it fully. And I think that's like one of the themes I'm coming back to over and over again, because I feel very strongly about this in MLS, especially in a salary cap league, is like overcommit to a, a style and you'll lose points because you've overcommitted and that will cause you to be too extreme and make mistakes. But overall, over the course of seasons, your level is going to rise because you have a direction you're going in. You can fit talent into that. And I think for Houston, that's what's exciting coming out of this year. Is like They've got a DP on loan at Vasco da Gama who they don't want to bring back. So they're going to have an open DP spot. Teenage Hadebe was a DP. They did not sign this front office staff. Um, I think they can convert him off that deal or they can try and sell him and move him on. In the offseason, that's two designated player spots you open up where now you can assess it and say, okay, we can go get a guy that maybe LAFC could get if they wanted or Cincinnati could get if they wanted, but they don't because the players may be a little bit slower, but great possession player, good eye for a final pass, good finisher in the box. Like Now they can ID guys that maybe 
don't make sense for other teams, but make sense for them and spend that money correctly because they have a clear identity of what that player is going to be fitting into. And I think they've done a good job so far in like using the little assets they have to fit guys in. I mean, Bossy, I think is on loan. They've brought a few players on loan that have done well where it's like, well, now you get a test trial with them. So now you know the money's worth it if you spend it to bring them over. I think I have an idea of who Ben Olsen is, but a lot of that is framed by watching him as a player for UVA mm-hmm. and for DC and then watching him as a coach. If if someone is unfamiliar with Houston or unfamiliar with Major League Soccer and they're asking you about Ben Olsen, like, do you think of him as a philosophy manager? Does he have a particular philosophy or style he wants to play? Is he more of a practical manager? Is he a man manager? What would you sort of define him as his style or who he is as a manager? I think coming out of D.C., most people would have said he's a man manager and he's practical. And now in Houston, it's been a little bit different where like they're this high possession team and it feels like he's more philosophical about what he wants to do. I think it starts with like he he creates good environments that players want to play in and that I think he inspires players to want to be better and enjoy being around the group, which is like a massive part of you're in a locker room together for 10 months of a year not hating each other and like wanting to go to work is a big part of it. It's clearly worked with Ace Ace of like, he's, he's found the level of buy-in that we didn't see last year from Hector Herrera of one being the leader and like being the best player on the team, but also like trying it, I get it. You came from Atletico Madrid and playing for Simeone and champions league semifinals and like starting from Mexico in a world cup to playing sometimes in front of an empty crowd in Houston. It's not exactly the same. But it feels like Ben Olsen has found a, uh, a relationship with him in which both of them feel like they have input in what they do. And that's, I think, a big part of getting Ace Ace involved and comfortable and inspired to play within the group. So I think that's sort of what you've seen. And Houston's much watch. So if you haven't watched them, especially this weekend, they play Vancouver, who have been really fun as well. Um, but the goal they scored against St. Louis, absurd. It's like a five-pass sequence in the box that ends with Bossy chipping Berkey to the far post so that uh, Corey Baird can, like, head it in. Like, Bossy's not shooting. He's like, oh, I'll just chip this to the far post inside the six, and, like, my teammate will put it in, and it feels like something you see in a 5v5 session. So, like, they've been really fun to watch. They've They've leaned into that, and I think it makes sense. Like, Theoretically, if teams have to go to Houston in the summer and play soccer, making them chase the ball a lot should work over the course of a season. It's mind-blowing that this wasn't thought of originally. It also sort of goes to, like, what the hell are the Rapids doing? <laughs> um, this country has geographical advantages and disadvantages that very few soccer leagues have. Very, very few soccer leagues are spread out across this type of country and so or two countries if you you know include Canada Houston has finally leaned into that and we've seen now a really good run through the summer and still continuing into now this point of the season where it's like now you have confidence now you have a flow now you have something to defend which is like you're fourth in the west you have you play from a point of strength in games rather than you go down one zero and you're like overwhelmed because we're in 12th place we're already out of it this happens every game like I think that changes your season do you want to continue to talk about happy things or do you want to talk about some negative things for a moment? Let's do a happy. All right. Then let's stay with Vancouver, who you mentioned oh, a moment yes. ago. Uh, that is a team I was looking back at my Western Conference preview. I yes. previewed Vancouver. 
I was pretty hyped about them. I feel like maybe some of my co-hosts might have scoffed at me for being nice. so excited about them. Uh, Takaoka, the goalkeeper, I was really excited about. I thought Laborda was a good signing. I thought Cordova uh, w- was going to be good for them. I was very excited about uh, Jean-Claude Ngando, JC Ngando. Uh, I don't think he has maybe lived up to the hype that I really <laughs> put him at, necessarily. Uh, but I am pretty pleased that it's been a, a positive season for Vancouver thus far. Okay, so feels like you said a lot of stuff you were wrong about in there, but the <laughs> overall theme you're correct about. Did you get any of the players right? Uh, Takaoka? I thought he was yes. pretty good. So Takaoka's been good. Uh-huh. But I think I think what you saw, which is what's played out, is like they have a clear identity. Again, that's allowed them to find players that fit that. At times, pennies against the dollars because it's not what other teams want. So like Brian White fits cleanly into what they do. Ali Ahmed fits in with what they do. Tristan Blackman has fit in really well where there's been, there's a huge discourse in MLS around Tristan Blackman where some teams say he's unplayable and some teams say he's worth a hundred, you know, a million dollars in allocation and that they put him on a massive contract and want him on their team. And so like all of these pieces have fit together, which I think is what you saw going into it and what we've seen at times under Sartini. And I go back to that theme of like building on it. They have built they got Sartini in last minute. They built, you know, a successful team down the down the end of the season in 2021, I think it was. They make the playoffs right at the end. Last year was not the season they wanted it to be, but they were doing the slow work of, okay, this is now how we want to play. Like, who can we add? They brought in Andres Kubas, who I think is elite at defensive midfield, but they got him in late. So that affected last year, but it wasn't just for last year. It was long-term. So now Kubas is in the team. That's made Ryan Gold better. This year, they've obviously identified the wing-back positions and said, those are two of our elite chance creators. They couldn't hang on to Gressel, so they go and get Richie Larea, who will probably return as a DP player at the end of this year um, on a full contract. And Sam Atacube, who not only is he Canadian and out of the Vancouver Whitecaps Academy, which I think is a really smart thing to do going into 2026 as you try and create a buzz in the city and make people invested. He's also super versatile. So he's, again, a player where you sign him and it's like, okay, well, if we have an issue at center back, he starts there for Canada and we know we have pieces at wing back. And if not, he's an elite wing back in MLS and that's an advantage we're going to have over most teams we play against. So they've built this slowly. They've built also with players at the right age bracket again, Kubas and Gauld in their prime, guys like Lorea and Adekube and Veselinovic and Blackman and Brian White going into their prime. And I think they're going to be competitive through a lot of these guys for a while. Um, they've invested a ton in their academy as well. So the hope is in between you can bring some academy players in that you can sell and get some money back to be able to keep this team strong for a while. But like, I don't know if you live in Vancouver, the vibes are good. Games are, I've always thought BC place games are fun. I get turf sucks, but like the roof's closed. It's loud. They're always direct teams. So there's a ton of actions and moments that happen throughout their games. And now they finally score goals, which is more fun than actions and moments that just occur over the course of a field. So like if I was a Vancouver fan, I'd be stoked. They're the best team in Cascadia. Like Seattle is a point ahead of them or two points ahead of them, but they've won Cascadia cup. I think they're the most consistent team right now. I think Seattle, Rui Diaz wants, potentially wants to leave. He's got one year left. Nico Ladera's on the last year of his contract. So, like, whatever Seattle is will change as Vancouver, I think, ascends. 
And that's not something I don't think Vancouver fans ever thought would happen. I think they thought they could put together good, decent teams and contend. But I didn't think I don't think you would have been able to say, like, Vancouver is going to be the team these other two clubs are chasing. In defense of, of my preview, Takaoka, I would argue, has has been good. Yeah, Greg Laborda has been fine, still starting, yeah. uh, and, I, and I liked that signing. I said Nagando had a lot of potential, and I liked a lot of his game uh, from what I watched of him at uh, UNC Greensboro. I was pretty hyped about the Ryan Gold-Pedro uh, Vite partnership. Ryan Gold has been maybe slightly more successful than Pedro no, Vite. No, Vite's been good. Vite's been a big part of their success. But all Cordova of those guys, is the well, big one. All of those guys. Let's yeah, Cordova sucks. <laughs> so what happened there? So he was just sold to, I believe, Alanya Spore or Antalya Spore. I can't remember which one. It was uh, not Antalya because okay. it was not a name that I recognized. Okay, so yeah, then Alanya Spore. Uh, he came. He was there on loan last season, right? So then this was the year that it felt like, okay, it's all going to break out. It's all going to be good. Uh, and then what? Two goals in nineteen appearances. I guess not quite what they were looking for. Yeah, I the day they signed him, I said it was a bad signing. So. Really. Yeah, I thought. I mean, we saw him with RSL. I didn't think he. I didn't think he was a DP level player. Maybe I didn't think he was this bad, and he's he got hurt for a stretch of the season, so that's going to drop your numbers. But I didn't feel he was a DP level player for RSL last year in the same league, in the same conference. So I get. I again, I get the concept of like, well, he fits our style as well as he's probably closer in the price point of a Vancouver DP than what other teams are spending. Um, but. I, I, I was not overly impressed with him. He has really good feet for a guy his size, and he can stretch the field. But he's not a consistent finisher. And when you look at the goals Brian White scores, he doesn't make the same runs. Like, he's not lurking on the back post. He's not winning a ton of balls in the air. And so he ended up just taking away from what makes them good. And credit to them to, like, make the move. You know, a lot of front office groups would be like, mm, this is my guy. We have to make him work and like force him into the team. They didn't do that. And the hope is now they can go out and use that spot. I don't know what they use that spot on to improve. And there's a couple teams in MLS that like are in a middle area. They can have a DP spot open, but the traditional DP spot positions they don't need. So like Dallas, I think of like normally you get a center forward. You could go get a 10. I don't know that they will use a 10. Vancouver is the same of like you have Gold already, you have Kubas, and their center backs are really good. So I don't know where they go use that spot to help get them to the next level if they want to. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if there's another idea out there. Like, is there a way to use that spot differently? Can you maybe absorb a player from another team that they don't want and get assets and say, like, all right, give us a million in allocation and we'll take your DP. And we'll put them in our DP spot. And maybe if they're good, they're good. And if not, we just got a bunch of assets that we can use to spread around a team that like we are rationing our spots a little bit more and we spend less. Or can you use that to then flip it into a bigger DP signing? So it'll be interesting to see if there's any ability to use that spot differently than what a traditional MLS team has always done. Much more still to come uh, from David Goss talking all things MLS back very soon. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. When last we left you, Goss was talking about how it could be an idea for Vancouver to absorb another team's uh, player, another DP maybe, and utilize them more effectively. That would be something I would say Colorado tried to do with Kevin Cabral, and that did not work out. Yes. Goss, uh, Colorado, question mark? I don't even know where to go with this one. I think the question I do have basically is, if you are assigning blame for where things have gone or where things have gone wrong... My ranking would be ownership, recruitment, coaching, on-field performance, basically, is, okay. is are the issues. So I feel like the players themselves, the performance itself, are not ideal, certainly, and occasionally not up to the standard that the fans would like. But I feel like that is the least of the concerns in relation to the investment and where that investment is going and how the money has been spent. Because this is a Colorado team that have spent money. I think that was one thing in, in reading about this that... I think I kind of assume that they were always operating on a budget, and I think they have spent DP money on occasion. It's just who they sign in those DP roles doesn't really make them a better team. So, uh, but you've turned your head, so now I feel yeah. like I'm getting well, it because DP's a, a misnomer. DP's a, a tag that a team can use on a lot of different players at a lot of different price points. So they do not deserve credit for signing DP players because their DPs are fake DPs. So they're either players they're not paying a transfer fee on, they're players that the number's so low that like, yeah, you can put the tag on them to take them off the salary cap, but you're not spending 1.5 million or more to bring them in. And I think you could look at other MLS teams and they have players on their roster who are of a similar profile to the Colorado Rapids designated players that are not DPs on their roster because they spent big on DPs and then brought these players in on TAM in between. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Colorado has spent 
I would also reject the premise of the list, and I would say fault is on ownership, 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 and then recruitment. So I would say of the top four, Mm -hmm. them, coaching and player performance would be at the bottom of that. I suspect the list is very long for this one, but what could ownership do? What could Stan Kroenke uh, and co. do to turn things around to get supporters back on side so that you're not getting organized protests and boycotts of the team? Obviously, the start... Well, so... Yeah, here are the like five things an MLS team can spend money on that makes a ton of sense. Um, front office staff to make their lives easier to be able to, like I talked about, be able to analyze and bring in the players and build a system and support cl- your club from a medical point of view, from a you know tactical point of view, from a signings point of view at a higher level. That's like an easy one to spend money on as I throw something in my living room. Um, the second is doing the same thing in the academy, which their academy is actually fairly successful. They've done a pretty good job recruiting players from outside of the Colorado area and inside. Um, They compete at a pretty high level and they've also pushed players through, but they're like the little engine that could with a lot of their stuff. And it's like, why? Like your ownership just won a Super Bowl and an NBA finals and like a team's in the champions league. So like I get being the little engine that could and 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 I respect yeah. the people that are working at a high level, but it's not necessary. Like you can spend money. Their, their money exists. You're not a you know an old club in Colombia that's doing with the best you can with everything you have. So like that's the frustration. And then the obvious one would be on players of like, yeah. If I mean, you does- bring in a Brazilian center forward. FC Cincinnati spent $11 million on a player like that two years ago, and you spent, I don't know, 800000 on an, on a loan fee for a player like, yeah, $10 million is going to get you $10 million worth of, of quality, and they don't spend that money. So if you brought in three high-level designated players that fit and they're you know well-researched and assessed like what you want to be as a team, and you bring them in and you spend money on a coaching staff which costs money to like get the best coaches. I think Robin Frazier is one of those guys. So that was a waste, but okay. You're trying anything you can at this point to like spark something. Um, That would be the clear way for an ownership group to just turn things around. And I go back to the revs of like the revs were like, who the hell is this team? And they were going out and signing mid-level designated players from South America and Europe that, you know, dangerous players on the wing that were somewhat entertaining, but not really. And then it's like, well, no, if you go get Gustavo Bo, who's crushed it in Liga MX, which is like a pretty good barometer to being good here, and you go out and get Adam Buxa, who's a Polish international, your team got better. And like, that's a pretty quick way to go about it. Um, So I am coming at the Rapids, obviously, from a position of ignorance. They are not a team I follow on a regular basis, exemplified by me getting that wrong. I'll I'll note that no one is surprised by. I did flip that around, so my apologies. Here's what Jeff Ruder wrote about them. Uh, The team is often derided for perceived low spending, especially when comparing their status in MLS to that of owner Stan Kroenke's other club, Arsenal. That doesn't quite carry water. The Rapids' wage bills over the last decade are similar to fellow MLS legacy clubs, FC Dallas, uh, New York Red Bulls, Columbus Crew, San Jose. Uh, Those are like the four cheapest teams. Yeah, their academy doesn't match the prolific output of Philadelphia or RSL, but they've gotten legitimate contributions from homegrown players. 
this is where I flipped it. Where they lag behind the rest of the league, however, is in terms of maximizing their designated player spots and signing top-end earners to lead the roster. 2023 is the first time the Rapids have filled all three designated player spots since 2016. You look at some of the ones they'd signed previously, I would argue they didn't have quite as big of an impact. And then to your point, those three are kind of designated players in name only in, in different ways. And all of that then... Like, I think my conclusion just sort of ends up being that Stan Kroenke feels like I don't need to spend money here. Like, and 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 maybe that's uncharitable. And that's why I begin this with saying, like, I am aware that I am coming at this from a position of ignorance. And I, and I think oftentimes we attribute uh, something that, like, could be attributed to mal or to, like, incompetence that I assume is ill intent or malice or whatever that that quote is. And I feel like I'm doing that here. But when you have an owner that is spending elsewhere, but then isn't investing into his team and yet. We know they're going to continue to increase in value because that's what every MLS team is doing, even if they actually aren't meeting that valuation. It just feels like a thing where he knows I don't have to spend that much. There's no pro rel. It's just sort of we're going to be there. And if we make a surprise run, if we do end up like hitting it right, getting lightning in a bottle, awesome. But then we're going to sell it for parts and we'll be back to where we were. And that's fine. It just doesn't feel like there's much ambition there, I think, at the end of the day. No. Now, the one thing I'd say about the Cronkies, and I don't know this. This is just the theory is like, have they ever spent outside of what they're making? Like, mm-hmm. I think this is like one of the things with the NFL is like, oh, well, you spend all this money. It's like, well, it's a salary cap. Like, yeah. The league makes money, the league distributes the money, and then you spend that money however you choose. And then there's like some stuff throughout American sports of like penalties that you could pay if you overspend. The Nuggets have started mm-hmm. to go into some of the luxury tax space, but the Nuggets are cheap. And like it doesn't matter. Don't people get sticker shock of like, oh my God, look how much Nikola Jokic makes. It's like, yeah, the backup point guard on his team makes less comparatively than another team that doesn't like, it's all within mm-hmm. a bucket of money that they're handed and told You're to right. spend. They're not, he's not Todd Bowley. He's not splashing yeah. all the money at Arsenal and then not spending it elsewhere. Right. And it's, then the Arsenal money is like, is he spending what's in line with a champions league club? Mm-hmm. And like, I get their big numbers and they're bigger numbers than Arsenal has ever spent, but that's, because Arsenal was spending below what they probably should have been spending for a number of years. Plus, you add in the money they make on selling Bolligan and whatever else they've been able to do over the last few years. So I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, my guess would be we'd come to a similar spot of like they own entities that exist in wealthy leagues and they probably spend in line with what they make on those teams. And that's how they operate. And I think you assessed it correctly of like, that's what they're doing in MLS, and there's no relegation, so it's not going to go anywhere. And the league got a bigger TV money, and you know teams are distributing money even more, and they get whatever cut of whatever gets sold mm. across the league, and like all those things. There are owners in MLS who don't want to do that, and who have tried to push the league. And I think it's interesting that the article you read from Jeff mention legacy clubs because I think we're seeing a bit of a divide and it started to shift as new owners have taken over old clubs and some old clubs have reassessed where they stand in the league as new clubs have pushed them harder. But like there's a bit of a divide between what I think some owners are like thinking MLS teams should cost in energy and money and what other ones think. And a lot of the older ones are the ones who are like, "Mm, this worked fine. And new owners like, okay, cool. Well, I own a sports team and it's fun and I want to win. So like, I'm probably going to do this and I'm going to beat your team and you can follow. I'd love to change the rules to make it easier. But if not, like, I'm just going to keep pushing as hard as I can in this direction. And you can kind of continue to do what you do. And then those teams are bad. 
Are there teams in your mind that you think of as more outdated than others that are more behind the times that aren't doing that much? Because I think you can have the sort of big clubs, the big cities. You can have the the teams that spend a lot of money and tend to go out and make splash signings. You can have the teams that are like the Oakland A's and look for the kind of money ball signings to put together to make greater than the sum of their parts. And then I think there are owners that are sort of kind of just hanging out. And, and I'm wondering if there are teams that you think of as being like specifically behind the times or not doing enough or not living up to the potential that's there. Uh, I think the galaxy are pretty high on that list. Um, Colorado, Fair. as I said, is pretty high on that list. And I would say Chicago has been pretty high on that list. DC probably is still in that conversation as well. Um, and there are moments that aren't right. Like there are moments where they sign a Benteke. There are moments where you see, maybe you could talk about FC Dallas of so like FC Dallas Push the league forward with their youth development. They changed the way MLS teams assess the ability to win with young players and the money that they can make from selling them. But FC Dallas, outside of one player that Oscar Perea knew of and signed, have not brought a player in from South America and sold them for a bunch of money. They tr- they're trying with Alan Velasco, and like that's a development. But there are like multiple things an MLS team can do. The best teams do all of them. Middling teams do some of them, and bad teams do none of them. <laughs> All right, then let's end on a more positive note. Let's do it. Then, uh, if we're talking about how... We're going to talk like, MLS Next Pro? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that was actually most of what the remaining 40 minutes I wanted to talk nice. about were about. Um, you were talking about Houston a while ago, and you said basically Olsen has gotten buy-in, which has created a better atmosphere, which has led to better vibes, which has led to more success, roughly speaking. Who are the teams that you feel like for lack of a better way of putting it, like the vibe is very good heading into the playoff stretch. Who, who are the teams that you feel like are just sort of, they know who they are. More importantly, they know who they're not. They know how to play. They know they have different looks and, the, and overall the chemistry just seems to be there. The vibe seems to be there. I think in both conferences, the top four are obviously in that conversation. The revs, obviously a bit of a weird one, but fine. The two I would say that are interesting to me right now that are a bit of outliers. I'd put Columbus in the top four of the East, even though they're technically fifth is Atlanta and Portland. These were two clubs that I had left for dead six weeks ago with Portland one week ago. Um, Atlanta had not put together a coherent roster that made any sense on the field in years. And they've shown one, the value again, of a legitimate defensive midfielder in MLS. They've done it with Tristan Muumba. I've talked about Nuoboto. I've talked about Kubas. Like a lot of these teams that turn around, they've done it by first spending at that position. And Muumba isn't even a DP. So like they've hit out the park with that signing. That brings balance. I think that frees Almada. I think they've found the right pieces along the front line to fit with Almada, which is guys that can create for themselves, but don't feel they need to. And so they can be pieces in the chessboard that Almada wants to use, or they can be game breakers themselves. And it feels like a lot has come together for Atlanta pretty quickly. And now they are back to a team where I'm like, one, with that atmosphere, especially if they're a home team, but even in now the way that it's going to be set up in a three-game series is like, I don't think anyone's going to go and win in Atlanta. So at a minimum, I think this is a team that's getting to the third game of a playoffs and then has the best player on the field. In Almada, who's a set piece threat, Yakumakis is you know a legit goal scorer. His health has been a concern, and I think that would be one. But so I think Atlanta vibes really good, going in the right direction at the right time of the year. 
feel good. And then you add in, like, I think there's a club confidence there that they believe they're a big team. And so every series they go into, their fans and their front office and their club staff, they're going to be like, well, we expect to win. And I think that helps. Portland, the other one of, like, Miles Joseph comes in. I think he's freed some of these players a little bit. Felipe Mora being healthy has helped as well. And Evander has continued to settle in. I, I There's a joke in one of my group chats, like, I keep calling Evander 2024 MLS MVP finalist Evander. Because, like, the trend is in the right direction. And obviously the quality is there. He's got like some crazy moments in him that he needs to get rid of, of like sees red physically and then sees red, you know, actually. But um, I think Portland's going in the right direction. They feel like they're going to get a playoff spot. And again, three game series, like Portland at home, you're always going to choose. So at a minimum, you're looking at a team that could have, game breakers across the front line in a third game in a must-win playoff series, which is all you can ask for at this point of the season in which you've let your long-term coach go and you're shifting things. So I think those are the two to me outside of Inter-Miami and outside of the obvious top fours in both conferences that are breaking into that and like it feels really good and it's exciting um, what they've been able to do. Final question, is St. Louis, or a series of questions, is St. Louis moving in the right direction? Uh, they're obviously top of the West, but then, uh, what, one win in their last five, two red cards in their last uh, few games. Uh, is that just like an outlier? Is it just a, a poor run of form, or do you have concerns about them leading into the playoffs? I have concerns, again, back to the pressing thing. Like, that is their entire mm-hmm. thing. Um, the success that it's had in the playoffs and the questions there as well as a team that's going to be home for most of the games. Teams are going to sit in against them. They're going to have to show they can break that down. But I think the form is less important than getting Klaus back and Lovin, who was out for a little bit as well. Like, getting Klaus back, and he scored now 2-2, and and the one against Houston is like, that's not a goal for most players. And it's not pretty, so it doesn't get on like highlights and you're not talking about it, but like the ability to react off a goalkeeper save to a ball behind you and go get it and head it in the goal is just the little half things that he does at an elite level that allows sort of a bumbling big guy to be a designated player striker that got signed for all this money to all these different clubs and everyone keeps looking at it. It's those like little half advantages that he creates. And so I think he's a cut above with the rest of this team. And if they can get Joe Akini healthy and they can keep him healthy and they can keep Lovin healthy, I, I don't worry a ton about them, even though this run of form isn't great on results. LAFC is going to be fascinating this week because I've said it a couple times coming out of the KC game for them. There's like very few opportunities for a new group to prove they can compete in a playoff setting outside of doing it in the playoffs and uh, in your biggest rivalry games in a U.S. Open Cup, you know, knockout match. That's a big deal, whether it's a quarter semi or final. And now League's Cup, those are your opportunities. They failed at League's Cup. I thought they got played off the field against KC. I thought they showed a lack of like understanding of how to elevate your game in big moments in this league. And so I think LAFC at home is going to have the pressure similar to a playoff game. So I'm curious to see how they react. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for talking about 10 plus uh, different teams all I over the map there. MLS. 
Why is that? Because we only scratched the surface no, and we talked about because 10 teams? I'm joking. I just talked about this league for an hour and 20 minutes. Imagine if it, I've never actually watched a game. I just made all that up. Yeah, I could believe that. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> no. sure, I'm sure each fan of the teams we talked about would believe it, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. And they would they're going to be like, he say, has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, no, I mean... I feel like we're going to get that response either way. Uh, but I really do appreciate you uh, making sense of some of these teams that are a little bit more head-scratching for me. And we uh, managed to not talk about uh, that other team in Florida. So good yeah. job by us. Good job by you. I'm super excited about that. We could talk about Lawson Sunderland, though. He's the big name signing for Inter-Miami that they just made. La- what? His name's Lawson Sunderland. I definitely thought you said we could talk about Lost in Sunderland, and I thought that was like a new documentary on Netflix about Sunderland and their various plights. I don't know. I think I've seen enough Sunderland documentaries. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good on that one. I feel like I get the But you don't know about that other cab driver. (laughs) There's two cab drivers in the city. You could learn about the other one. (laughs) He thinks they should be doing better. He just thinks they should be doing better. Shock of all shocks. All right, guys. Thank you again. Uh, Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We've got list of questions tomorrow. We've got uh, Champions League review coming up, and we've got the return of the big thing this week. It's a busy schedule, uh, but many more shows to come here on the Total Soccer Show. For now, we'll talk to you soon.